Hi, everyone. How you guys doing? Thanks, Jane. Wasn't that awesome, the music? It's good to be with the people of God, worshiping together. How's course? Good, good. Glad you guys had a good time there. I'm, I know I've learned a lot in course. It's homey up here. Thanks, Chris. What? It's homey. It's about to be lonely. You want to stay with me? Oh <laughs> Darn. Um, so uh, we are talking about home. This is the theme, homecoming. The graphics were awesome too. It's that time of the year, right? Homecoming, fall, all things pumpkin spice, if you like that kind of thing. Um, but uh, so we talk a lot about metaphors for God. And one of the things that we talk a lot about in our worship is that God is our king and we are our servants. I kind of want to get us into a different mode in the theme for the next few weeks to talk about God as our father or as our parent. And that he, this world is his home. That's, what, that's where the homecoming thing comes on. It's kind of a play on words in case you guys didn't catch that. Um, we talked last week about how God created this home for us. And his initial intent was to dwell with us in this home, to commune with us in the Garden of Eden. But in this narrative, as always, we tend to stray and wander and separate ourselves from God through sin and abandonment. Sometimes we go too far with our religiosity, and sometimes we ignore it entirely. Last week I said that God was going to do the work, that God was faithful and then in this week and in the next few weeks, I hope to show exactly how that happens in more specific ways. Because he does that through us. He makes a home for us, and we co-create that home with him. Um, he heals our dry bones, gives us hearts of flesh, and allows us to flourish when we participate with him. So this time and today, we're going to talk about one way he does that, and that's through divine hospitality. And I brought a um, clip for you. This clip I need to set up for you. It's from a, a movie called A Serious Man. Did anyone see this movie? I didn't think so. It's a Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> and if you know anything about Coen Brothers, they often give biblical themes. And this particular movie, but it's called A Serious Man. It's about a man in his 50s, in the, in the 1950s, and everything goes wrong for him. Everything. And all of his, everything is an abandonment for him. It is a metaphor for Job. But it starts with another story. And this is the story we're going to start with. And this story, it harkens back to the people of God, or actually not as far as the people of God, but in in Russia, and so it's a Jewish Orthodox family that you're going to witness. There's some subtitles, so follow along with it. The one thing I wanted to kind of let you know is that this is a story within a story. If you watch the rest of this movie, you're going to go, what's the deal with the Russian tale? You won't even remember that this started with a story. But the important thing to remember is that for the Jewish people, the people of God, and for us, it is a very, very serious thing to not show hospitality to other people. And sometimes when someone comes to us and, and is expecting hospitality, to not show that would have been a grave sin, especially in this situation here. And the last thing I want to tell you is that a dipic, you're going to see the word dipic, it's a ghost or an apparition, not quite a zombie, 
but um, something bad. So let's roll that clip and follow along. Okay, so problem, right? What to do if God has cursed them or if they believe that divine hospitality is the thing to do and there's danger at the door or at least some kind of risk. I won't tell you how that ends, but you guys can watch the movie. It was, I'll just tell you, watch uh, be prepared. The ice pick has something to do with it. <laughs> um, that's why I had to cut it off where it was. Um, so sh showing hospitality to strangers or even to, some, to someone that we don't know, even in our culture, is a huge risk, isn't it? To enter into God's home and to participate in this world has inherent risk to it. Perhaps the risk is even bigger to some of us. I mean, at least it's felt to some of us. And um, sometimes it's less. We don't ever know. Risk is kind of in the eye of the beholder. And danger is often in the eye of the beholder. In our culture, opening the door to an unexpected guest or a stranger 
is calamity, right? Um, that's why we have those ring doorbells now to see who's at the door before we answer it. Now, some people would say, why do we need to talk about hospitality? This is the church. This, we're Christians. Christians are the best at showing hospitality, right? But I would venture to say that most of us weigh our risks when we show hospitality to others. But what is that risk? So help me out here. What are some of the things that we risk when we welcome people into our lives, or even for that matter, in the lobby? Anyone want to help me out here? What are you risking? Rejection. Rejection. That's a huge thing. Rejection. We don't want to put ourselves out. What else? Discomfort. Ah, it's uncomfortable. Trevor, what do you mean by uncomfortable? Like awkward? <laughs> Says the person that's supposed to help me welcome people. <laughs> Yeah, it's uncomfortable, right? It, it's awkward, as my teenage kids used to tell me. I used to see them in the store, and they'd recognize someone they had in class. I'd say, go and say hi, because I'm from a small town. And they'd be like, Ow. Like, that was the most awkward thing to do. They can't say hi to someone in the, at Target. Anything else that we're risking? Time. I was waiting for someone. Thank you, Charlie. Because you know what? Um, someone might be talking to us, and it's not efficient, and we've got to keep moving. And what if they ask us, like, what if we ask them for dinner, and then they stay too long? <laughs> and then they have some expectation. Time has expectation to it as well. Yeah? What else? Anything? Being known. Being known which is somewhat to do with re rejection. These are all the things that we risk when we show hospitality to someone else. It's way easier not to, yeah? It's way easier not to. So let's think about this in the theme of God's home. Let's go back to God's home. If this world is God's home, and he invited us to live with him, and to dwell with him, and to be in relationship with him, it's an invitation that he's extended out of hospitality by simply creating the world and creating us as human beings. He is showing hospitality. He invites us into his life, the life of him and his people. So I have a friend who's doing ministry. I've known him for a very long time. He does ministry in the central Florida. That's where they are now. And he wrote a newsletter, an email that said, you know, we're fine. You know, Hurricane Ian, we just sustained minor damage. It's all good. It's all okay because this isn't our home anyway. And I cringed a little bit because, first of all, I've said that. And I probably said it all year long with the year I've had. That it's okay. This is not our home anyway. Um, and, and it makes me crazy, but I say it too. So... I'm showing a little confession here. But the thing is, we say it because we want to believe that our eternal home is way more important than this. Or that whatever tragedy or pain that we're feeling right now is not going to happen in our, in our real home, as if this home is fake. It creates a, a little problem. The second thing, the second problem or the real problem is... This is our home. This is what we have in our time and space right now, right? And this is God's home. 
And so if we're constantly looking to the future at another home, then this home that has time and space to it and decisions we can make when we get up every morning becomes a little less important. And I don't think that was God's intention. That was not his first intention, at least, when he created a home to dwell with us. And think about this. If this isn't God's home and we're not here to share it with him, it's just going to happen later, then why even extend hospitality to anyone, right? Because it's hard. Like, let's just all stay at home, board up our house, order Instacart, find only the jobs that we can work from home, and be way more comfortable. <laughs> way, way more comfortable. But I don't think this was God's intention. I don't think it was his original intention, and I don't think it's an intention for us now. And I don't think when the new Jerusalem comes that we will be isolated. I think we'll be together. So um, I know it's more comfortable. I know it's difficult. But as you receive God's hospitality in some way, because you're here now, you showed up, you will have to risk also something, as God did, to show God's divine hospitality to others. I'm risking a little bit here because I'm actually talking to the people who showed up. So I realize I'm preaching somewhat to the choir, but hopefully this will give us some more motivation to remember this idea, right, and to do something about it. God's hospitality is a living, breathing organism. It's ever-changing. It grows, it adapts, it looks different once we and once you put your personal spin on it, once you put your per personal participation on it, it becomes co-creating with God. And every single person in here will show divine hospitality differently than another person. That's why we need each other. When you experience divine hospitality, when you are the recipient of it, this tremendous non-judgmental, accepting, grace-filled, just-come-and-hang-with-me-dwelling kind of hospitality that God gives to us. It's healing, and it is redemptive. It will save us. And it should motivate us to give it the same way that we received it. Now, I'm going to mention the live stream for just a minute. So if you guys are watching on live stream, we welcome you, welcome, welcome. It is something that we created for people like me. I actually watched live stream for a good portion of COVID. But live stream was never, ever meant to be a permanent solution. It's a good thing. It lets people who have to be at home participate in the ways that they can. It lets people who have never been here try us out as a church for a little bit just to see are those people really as weird as I've heard they are. <laughs> and it gives us a flavor of who we are. But it's never been the end goal. It will not put you watching from home or any kind. I don't, I'm not crabby about online stuff, you guys. I really like online stuff. 
I will, I will use it to the end of its ability, but it's not the thing itself, okay? It is not the intention that God has for us to connect. It is not divine hospitality. It's the start of it, and it can start there, but it was not what he meant by us connecting with each other here on a Sunday or even when the people of God go out into the world and connect and show divine hospitality, not just in this building, but every day. So I'm going to share some scripture with you. Um, we're going to go to the Old Testament, which I told you guys last night, I was often called the First Testament because we, we recognize the meta-narrative of God, the large story. We're going to go to Numbers 11 if you want to in your phones or your Bibles. Numbers 11. Let's see how God shows his hospitality to his people. Now when the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, the Lord heard it and his anger was kindled. Then the fire of the Lord burned against them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. But the people cried to Moses and Moses prayed to the Lord and the fire abated, so that the place was called Taberah, because the fire of the Lord burned against them. And the rabble among them had a strong craving, and the Israelites also wept again and said, Oh, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we used to eat in Egypt for nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. And now our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but manna to look at. So remember, God provided the manna to them, and what do they do? Complain. Now the manna was like coriander seed, and its color was the color of gum resin. The people went around and gathered it and ground it in mills and beat it in mortars, then boiled it in pots and made cakes of it. And the taste of it was like taste of cakes based, baked with oil. And when the dew fell on the camp of the night, the manna would fall with it. Here's God providing everything they need as an act of hospitality to bring them all together, even though they are complaining. Have you ever had a guest that complained about what you served? not very fun. <laughs> if you have kids, you've had guests that complain about where you serve. So the next is a verse I want to show you how incredibly generous the Lord is to us. Psalm 23. He doesn't just give us our daily bread and our daily manna even when we're complaining. He gives us more. Psalm 23 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall what? Dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long, and even longer into eternity. And lastly, the people of God in the Old Testament were always looking forward as we are as well today, to the day where God would commit the final act of salvation for his people by returning and sharing his presence with his people. 
he did that with Jesus after the Old Testament, and he will come back when Jesus comes back. But he's with us now as well. Isaiah 25, 6 through 9. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, a feast of well-matured wines, of rich food filled with marrow, of well-matured wine strained clear. And he will destroy on this mountain the shroud that cast over all peoples, the sheet that is spread over all the nations, the whole world. He will swallow up death forever. And then the Lord God will wipe away the tears from all the faces and, and the disgrace of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken, and it will be said on that day, Lo, this is our God. We have waited for him so that he might save us. This is the Lord for whom we have waited. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. God is the father of the whole earth, and he's our host. He's the divine host. He shares all good things with us, and even in the suffering, he has a plan to swallow it up and to save us from it. So I wanted to share this one um, phrase from Joshua Jip. He is uh, the author of Saved by Faith and Hospitality. I told you guys I'm having a lot of fun reading about this, but it may not be as fun for you. Hopefully I chose the right one. Um, here's the quote. The importance of the church's practice of hospitality to strangers depends upon the broader way in which the early church understood itself to be recipients of God's hospitality and thereby agents of hospitality to one another. Israel in the Old Testament and the church in the New Testament understood its identity as founded upon God's hospitality, a divine welcome that joined Israel and the church to God. In a sense, then, we learned something about who God is from the human practice of hospitality to strangers. Given that the practice is predicated upon our understanding of who God is, the one who extends hospitality to the stranger. I haven't even included any New Testament verses yet about extending hospitality to strangers because it's all over there. This is the pattern, guys. This is the gist. God models for us by including us, and then he makes us agents of including others. So food is often mentioned here because it is the first act of hospitality, but it's not the only one. This, I'm not going to lie, it is almost a thing in almost every culture, at least to invite you in for tea. But it's not the thing itself. Sharing life together with God in his home is the goal. We are the agents of God's redemptive plan, and yes, he's in charge and he does the work, and yes, he's faithful, and yes, he is always initiating, but we must participate. Showing hospitality is one way to participate, and it's usually not a huge risk. Sometimes it is, but it's usually not a huge risk. It can be very, very small acts that can grow into something very large and build into redemptive relationships. But the relationships have to be reciprocal. 
Radical hospitality might be the one thing that we have left to evangelize the world. If we believe the church is the hope of the world, it may be the only thing we have left because more information is not what people need. And really what they don't, they don't really want that. It is going to have to be backed up with some real relational work on our parts, church. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. Now, that, that was a real important verse to me in my early Christian years because that was the verse that was supposed to say, okay, if you open the door to your heart, Jesus is going to come in and he's going to dwell with you and that's how you become a Christian and now you're good. Bye. <laughs> I was taught that not... Not probably to that extreme. Kind of felt that way, but I was young. It's not wrong. But that imagery of that verse really has more to do. It actually is hearkening back to when Jesus says, um, whenever you welcome one of these people into your home, you're welcoming me. And I don't know if you guys were here last week, but we talked about the dry bones and the verses in Ezekiel and how God has a plan to make those dry bones and put hearts of flesh into them. And to um, start, it starts with a creek and then the creek becomes a raging river and then life comes out of it. In that very, very, very valley of dry bones, guys, is an invitation for us to step into God's world. And that invitation is an invitation. It's a hospitable act. And so we, when we take that invitation, we have to do something with it. And I see it all the time around here at Lakeland, so I'm going to show you some examples. Here's what it looks like. A group of moms, one day they decide to invite um, a refugee mom who can't speak English or even read or write in her own English, and they invite them to a pool day. There's a huge language barrier, and it's inconvenient. And it's not a huge risk, though, but they share grapes, and then it becomes a relationship. And then those kids have a birthday, and they have their first birthday cake probably in a few years. And that means something to them. Not a big deal for these moms here at Lakeland, but a big deal for these kids who have not had a birthday cake in a very long time. That's a very, very, I mean, that's risky because that was awkward. I was there, and it's hard. It's not convenient. But there are other acts that are happening here all the time. Every time we have an act or an ask for an event here at Lakeland, every time on your app we say, check it out, we have lots of things going on for you, this is an invitation into the shared life here at Lakeland. These are acts of hospitality. Nobody here at Lakeland is sitting around shopping, prepping, cleaning, cooking for a men's retreat like Charles Brooks. And no one is sitting there, just, sorry, I called them out, I warned them. No one is, no one's sitting there going, gee, I hope no one shows up. They're hoping that someone shows up. It's reciprocal. The invitation, the planning, the, all of that 
Every time that someone does something around here, they're asking you to stay in, to come in and to share life with us. And every time you show up, it's also a reciprocal act of hospitality. This, is, this can become a radical, redemptive relationship. Now, I know some of us are introverted, and some of you are like, ah, no way, I am just introverted, this is the way I am. But I will say to you that there are ways that you can show radical hospitality and be very introverted. My husband was very introverted, and he loved coffee. So he came in here and served coffee, and then didn't say a word to any of y'all. <laughs> but didn't you like having a cup of coffee when you walked in? There's a couple spots open on the coffee team, by the way. <laughs> Friends, I'm such a believer that the church is the hope of the world. I really am. But I believe more so that divine hospitality is critical to embodying that hope. If the church is supposed to be the hope of the world, and this is God's world, then our small part of hospitality will embody what that hope means to the world. 25 years ago, we moved to Lee Summit. I was very pregnant, nine months pregnant, and I had a toddler who was not potty trained yet, and um, a dad that was very sick with cancer. And he died about six weeks into our time here, and my husband traveled all the time, Sunday night to Friday night. My kids uh, didn't have clue who he was until Saturday, and then he was like, who's, they were like, who's the stranger? We welcomed him anyway. <laughs> I got a postcard from Siberia from a friend that said, hey, Lori Edwards and her husband are starting a church here at Lee Summit. I heard you moved to Lee Summit. It was from, this postcard's from Siberia. And that little small act of hospitality had me try out Lakeland. And 25 years have passed, and it landed me here. Now, I was a mess back then. It was probably the second hardest year of my life beside this, this year. But 25 years have spanned, and I have been being saved all the time. Not that I lost my salvation, but that I've grown because of one postcard that came from Siberia that, from a person that never even came to this church. And Lori Edwards Wilburn. So, I'm going to leave you with this, guys. What hospitality, what act of, what risk do you need to take? It could be big, it could be small. Do you need to be intentional in extending hospitality to someone? Or maybe do you need to show some reciprocities to, to, end, to show up to the invitation of someone? It's only in this microcosm with the people of God that we carry the home of God. It's not magic. If it were, I would make it even more magical for y'all. But it is intentional, and it does lead to redemptive relationships and the hope of the world eventually. Amen.